See if you buy into this one. Boothahawk. We did that one. God damn it! I was. That's a repeat. Uh, damn it. <laughs> uh, hold on. What else can we come up with? Stone. Remember, remember, uh, Bo Jackson, like Bo Nose Baseball. So no. we'll do Bo Bone Nose Tomahawk. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, Bo Jackson. He played baseball. He also played, I think, football. I don't know. He was an athlete, and the big thing was like Bo Nose Baseball, Bo Nose Basketball. So no, bone okay. nose tomahawk. I mean, Into we're it. through it. We're that's through great. We're we made through. it. We're in. <laughs> Fair enough. Welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully. My name is Garrett Smith. Hey, can you hear the blustery day that's happening outside my window on your end? I can hear it in my room. It's oh, okay. Great. Well, I can't hear that, so that means the audience probably can't at all, and that's all I'm worried about. Yeah, I, ca- I can't hear yours. I can only great. hear mine. Perfect. So then that's we're in good. good shape. Uh, dude, I am uh, excited for today's episode because, you know, we're always asking for listener recommendations and we got a really good one that we dipped our toes into. And I'm like pretty excited to talk about it. I'm I'm hot with energy on this one. So shout out to one of our listeners who only goes by Nick. Um, I've not been able to get any other information from him. I think he would rather be. uh, But he sent us an email a couple months back. And he said, I'm going to pull just a couple lines out of here. He said, hi, I'm Nick. And a while back, I stumbled across a movie I had never heard of. It completely blew me away. And so ever since, I've been desperately trying to convince everyone across movie fandom to give it a shot and hopefully drag it out of complete obscurity. The movie is called The Beast of War, a.k.a. The Beast, from 1988, directed by Kevin Reynolds and starring George Dzunza, Jason Patrick, and Stephen Bauer. It was only released in two screens across the whole of the U.S. by Columbia Pictures, and I kid you not when I say this is the best Hollywood film you've never heard of. Quentin Tarantino's old writing partner, Roger Avery, has it down as the best movie of 1988 on Letterboxd. He also has it down as one of his 20 Desert Island films, with Apocalypse Now being the only other war film. It has a 7.3 on IMDb, 3.5 on Letterboxd, but not a single critic's review on Rotten Tomatoes. A couple of podcasts have reviewed it favorably. Uh, blah, blah, blah. On the basis of my recommendation, I continue to pester Criterion to do something to save this movie from continual obscurity, but I no longer get anything back from them. Oh, well. Please seek this out. It is available on streaming. I, I watched it on Amazon Prime. So did I. Yep. Okay. It's very available if people want to watch it. And he it says, let me know. Today. If you agree with me that this might be one of the 10 best American movies of the 1980s, one way or another, we need to find a way to raise this movie's profile and prevent it from continual obscurity once and for all. And he sent us the trailer saying, if you check out the trailer, you will want to watch it. Well, we did. And we did. So thank you, Nick, for the recommendation. Uh, His name's going to come up again a little bit later with some further information after we talk about it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the Beast of War, a.k.a. the Beast. To support Nick's uh, sort of theory here about this being an obscure movie, on Letterboxd, 1,003, like just under 1,400 people have basically logged that they've seen this movie. That's not writing a review, that's just having seen it. That's actually like a very low number. 
Uh, you can make it 1401 because I have not made, I have not logged my entry yet, but I have seen it. Like, give me one second here and I'll find you a popular movie so that we can compare just so that Fair. you can like really get a clear idea of like just how few people this is. And so while you do that, this movie, um, it's, it's a complicated movie, but uh, the guy who wrote it is a playwright who's actually from our area. Um, he graduated from Rutgers. Okay. And so, and his first play, his first produced play, I believe, was about, it was based in South Philly. Oh, wow. And so the writer's name is William Mastro Simone. Right. Or Mastro Simone. I don't know what that is. But uh, yeah, he is a playwright. When I brought him up to Jenna, my better half actress, she was like, oh, I have a book of his plays. He's, you know, a beloved playwright and uh, has written some important stuff. But uh, when we get into it, we'll get into the story of how he managed to write this. Okay. Because Nick sent a, a story over of how he pulled this off. Yeah. And it is remarkable. It could be a movie in and of itself. That's so interesting. Um, just to, uh, you know, I, I guess add a little weight here. So like Mad Max Fury Road, which is one of the most watched movies on Letterboxd, has been logged or, uh, by members, right? So 767,000 members of... Uh, Letterboxd have watched Mad Max Fury Road, where 1,400 have watched The Beast. That's insane. Yeah, there so are seven seven thousand percent something like that and more. There are eleven thousand people that have Mad Max in their top four. There are fourteen hundred people that have even seen uh, <laughs> The Beast. That's wild. That yeah. is wild. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, like I. I can never make any sort of statement as to whether something is the best of the 80s or not, because there's just so much that's Agreed. there. Agreed. Um, but I will say that this is, hands down, one of the best war movies that I have ever seen. 100% agreed. Dan, I was so unexcited to watch this movie. Really? As our listeners probably know. Oh, yeah, you're not I'm, a war movie guy. <laughs> I'm not into war movies. I, like, never really like war. I don't, I don't get what the appeal is. I found this movie very appealing from like start to finish. I really liked this movie. This grabbed me. Oh, right on. Way. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like, it, it's weird because it's like kind of, it's like kind of, uh, I don't want to say trashy, but it's like kind of like grindhousey because there's like a lot of like real gnarly gore, but yeah. it's also like really thematically, uh, like just like thematically smart and complicated in a it's way that like a grindhouse thing typically is not. It feels to me like an exploitation movie that has the richness of something like, for some reason, the thing I kept thinking of while watching it was Sorcerer. Yeah, and, it and has I don't like that know, classy aspect. Yeah, I don't know that they necessarily have a ton in common. There's maybe some things that they do, but I, I just kept thinking about Sorcerer while watching this movie, and, and I just, um, yeah, it, it, it really kind of bridges this gap between, like, because I've seen, I mean, some of the war movies I've seen that I have enjoyed have been like exploitation movies, movies yeah. that like really are using war as like a setting for a movie. They're not like, you know, actually trying to dig into any of the actual like politics of the events they're depicting or anything. But I think so often war movies are associated with being epic, big yeah. and classy. Yeah. And <clears throat> and like that's not always the case. And so like yeah, something yeah. like this, like. I would say is classy, but it's not like an epic movie. It's under two hours. Yeah. You know, it's not like a big meaty, you know, uh, saving private Ryan style study of the time and the place yeah. and all that. But it ends up, I think being more thematically rich than a lot of more than a lot of movies that I can think of just because, uh, you know, because the character work I think is so strong here. 
I agree. I mean, this is like, I'm sure as we talk about this, this will kind of just keep coming up. But like, <clears throat> I, I think this movie is, um, and, and I, I don't mean this in any kind of negative way. This is like a messy movie. Um, yeah. That's like kind of the point of the movie is like how messy war is and, and what it does to people and what it does to like a mind, basically, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and like it. So it, I had lots of complicated feelings about this movie all the way throughout. And I think it's, in my opinion, like one of the things that's good about the movie is that I don't know that I feel like this movie is being all that didactic about like what I should think about any of it. I think it's kind of just presenting a lot of really difficult scenarios and just kind of like I, I'm just watching them happen. And, I, you know, I, I'm kind of left to decide how I feel about them. I, I kind of like that about this movie. I think it feels almost as if it's made in the modern day looking back on a war that feels complicated. Yeah. Because in the midst of a war, it's very easily easy to say good guys, bad guys. The right. You know, and this is a so a little background. I think it was 1979. Okay. The Soviet Union decided to invade Afghanistan. OK. And so the Afghanistan soldiers that were resisting this were the Mujahideen, um, which we know now and are considered the baddies. Right. Um, you know, and it, it's through the like the American thing. lens of this war. Through the American lens. But yeah, yeah. if you remember, uh, Rambo 3 is a movie that specifically says this is dedicated to the soldiers of the Mujahideen oh, because right. they were the good guys there. Because we really? saw Russia as this big, powerful, technologically advanced, uh, you know, war force yeah. invading what is a more basic fighting force that, yeah. you know, is is just sort of landlocked and surrounded at the time. And so right. I think it lasted eight years. I, I don't have a full set of context for this. It's just what I understand from Rambo 3. No, from like, <laughs> you know, just from what I know from history. Yeah, yeah. And so what's interesting about this is it's, it does sort of frame the Afghanis as the good guys in the larger conflict. Right. But the larger conflict is almost irrelevant to the story. Yeah. Because we have a tank full of Russian soldiers that would, in the larger sense, be considered the baddies. Mm-hmm. But within their ranks, we've got good guys, bad guys, and people yep. that are just human. Yep. And even the guy, even the guy who's most villainous amidst, amidst them, you know, we find is motivated by a severely traumatic past. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in the Afghanis, we have the same deal. We yeah. have a different culture. We have people that are, you know, both vengeful. Uh, we have people that don't want to have anything to do with it. And we have people that are doing the duty as set forth by their culture and by the state of war. None of it's judged as good or bad, which I think is something that is so unique to this movie is that it really is like, to me, it was less of a, oh, the tank guy's got to survive or, oh, the Afghanis have to survive and more of a war is hell. Let's see how this plays out when a whole bunch of different types of humans are involved. Yeah, like the movie for me was like this interesting ride kind of of like back and forth between these two parties and and frankly for for me like i honestly have very little context for this like i, I don't know a lot about this history you ain't never seen rambo 3 no i've never seen rambo 3 <laughs> man you got it it's, it's dumb i would as like shit. to <laughs> i would like to but like I, I don't know a lot about the this um war i don't know a lot about this period in american history like or well and this isn't even american history but like i just don't know a lot about this right so yeah. i have like very little context for this other than what the movie presents and i agree with you like what i think is 
the way the movie presents this is like there's this greater conflict that causes this thing to happen. Mm-hmm. But what the movie is about is this thing that is happening, which once it starts happening is kind of devoid of the war. If yeah, that makes it's sense. all micro. Like, There's no like, yeah. macro context for the war, right. except as a set piece. Right. And I think leaving that out allows us to explore these characters with a little more depth because we're not we're not hindered by the idea of we don't want to risk showing this guy is too good right. or showing this guy is too bad. Uh, you end up having a lot of tonal leeway just because the larger conflict is is only a set piece. And it also made me think that, like, and I've never, I, I don't know anything about what I'm about to say. I've never been to war, I've, uh, you know. But, like, it made me think, like, oh, this is maybe actually what the experience of war is like. It, it, it It's nobody on the ground is engaging in it in the way we think about it in that larger context you and I keep talking about right now. Yeah. Once you're on the ground, it is a series of, like, micro battles that may have like their own motivations that don't actually have anything to do with those larger politics that are causing the war to happen. I think when we view view it, Oh, exactly. When we view it from a distance, we lose the individual. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes just force versus force. Right. And so this is like a story that is about the individuals. Um, So yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And it's, it's weird, like, because you just think, like, people go, oh, yeah, we overtook Kandahar. Right. And it's like, to us, that just means, yeah, we took it. And it's like, there are a hundred different mini action movies. There yeah. are a thousand different stories of loss and a hundred different stories of triumph, all littered in the statement, we just took this city. And we never really think about that as an outsider. And And I think this kind of zooms in on maybe, what, like, seven stories that are right. all in this one narrative. Well, and... It's wild, yeah. Even in, like, um, other war movies, I'm trying to, like, I feel like there's a scene I can picture that happens in, like, every war movie I've seen where a couple of generals are standing over a map and they're talking about strategy and they're talking about how that strategy is tied to the politics of the war itself. And there is absolutely none of that in this. I mean, this movie is literally, we never even hear from a higher command. Mm-hmm. We only ever know what the tank commander's like actions and thoughts are, right? Like yeah. all of his directions are directions that he's giving. They don't seem to be coming from anywhere else. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it, it, I was like fascinated by that idea in and of itself. That like it's almost actual... like they don't even have a mission of like where they got to be. It's just right. we got to get out of here, right? You know, like, it's it's not any sort of greater mission that they're doing besides, eh, we're in enemy territory. We got to get out of here. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, I was fascinated by that. And, and then, you know, not to mention that, like, another thing that I find boring about war movies is that, like, I never really know what I'm watching. There's just, like, battle happening. Yeah. And I, and I can't really understand the larger, you know, sort of context of that, where this movie is really, really good at doing something that I didn't think I would ever understand, which is, like tank warfare like yeah. how tanks are operated and move and why there are like strategic moments that you could approach a tank on foot and take it over versus be totally afraid that a tank is coming directly at you do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i i was like this movie really brought me into the very particular and specific experience of these of this like tank command you know what i yeah. mean 
we always just think of like, yeah, they hopped in some tanks and right. drove on up and blew some shit up and boom, boom, boom. And it's right. like, you never really think about like, oh yeah, this tank belongs to somebody, first of all, which ends up being a huge plot point. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they have to think about the idea of ammo, of gas. Right. What happens if the shell doesn't detonate? Right. And they got to get out of there. Yeah. Um, but like in all these little things too, like, hey, light a fire under the tank. Yeah, you can yeah. cook them out. Hey, drop a grenade in the tank. You can scare them. Like there were so many different things of just the inner workings of, because we just think like tank. <laughs> we <laughs> think RPG, kaboom, tank. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, that's as yeah. far as we think about it yes. as quoted in that movie. But like, yeah. there's so many little pieces to it. Yeah. yeah, it is. It was fascinating. And I just, it is based on a play. Yep. And so, and in the, the, one of the links that, uh, cause I reached out to Nick and said, uh, you know, Hey, what, you know, what you, you said, you have more information yeah, about what this. What you said over and he sent some, some links. And that was one of the things in a, uh, interview with the director, uh, Kevin, I forget whether it was the interview with the director, Kevin Reynolds, or if it was, uh, the interview with, uh, the writer, mm. but it was just essentially like he made it a place. So if you did this on stage, it's really just. Two, I would imagine two factions, guys in a tank, guys not in a tank. Right. And we just check in with them back and forth, which is essentially how this movie plays out. And so the director sees this and goes, yeah, that's cool. But if we eliminate the whole willful suspension of disbelief as required by the stage, like we can do some cool shit with this as a movie and yeah. bring some really incredible action sequences into it. Yeah. And almost dive deeper into the characters because we don't have to have that that separation. Well, and the 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 sort of visceral nature of the violence that's here, which you would not oh, be able yeah. to really get on stage, I really do think, like, um, you know, if I were to see this on stage without some of those gore moments, I imagine that I I may feel differently about some of these characters, right? Yeah, like, certainly. The the main character does something so grotesque in the opening moments of this movie. Um, that then we spend the rest of the movie sort of getting to know him more and better and and how he thinks and operates and maybe finding a little sympathy within this man, even though the first thing we watch him do is something like absolutely reprehensible. Oh, the horrible to imagine. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's horrifying. But you know what I like about that, which is kind of weird. It breaks a script rule there. Like that's almost the completion of his arc. Right. We see him do that and he goes like, man, I can't just be taking orders anymore. Right. Yeah. You know, a lot of evil shit happened because of people who were just taking orders. Yeah. And, you know, you could always argue with, you know, what is the, you know, at, at what level are you culpable with a gun to your head? Yeah, yeah. But it's amazing that it opens with that and we kind of watch his redemption arc as opposed right. to his personality shift. It's yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, that is then, such a what we're talking about right in the opening scene is he is ordered to drive the tank uh, over a man who, uh, you know, does not want to give them the information they seek yeah. after the Russian soldiers have just fucked up an entire village of people. Yeah, very. I mean, very violent opening to this movie. And and I got to say, I mean, watching this in, in 2021 with obviously a lot more history that happens after this that I am more familiar with. And particularly in America, where we have dealt with a, a lot of, uh, you know, racism against Middle Eastern people, um, mm. you know, in the past like decade or more, I personally found myself very much on the side of the Afghanis throughout most of the oh, movie, yeah. which is not to say that, you know, I did think the interesting thing about the movie is that, as you said, 
there are kind of interesting all the characters all across the board are more layered than just good guys, bad guys, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of really like the thematic anchor of this movie is that they're trying to explore precisely that. Yeah. But I definitely was like pretty immediately and basically through the whole movie, like, no, yeah, the Afghanis should absolutely have their revenge on these absolute fucking maniacs that have like ravaged their, their village, you know? I think the historical context supports that too, because at that time, if we were living in, you know, I think it was 79, I want to say to 87, I believe this whole okay. thing occurred. Yeah. At least in America, the general idea was the Afghanis are the good guys here. Right, yeah. Um, because they're just being invaded by a larger, more advanced force that's, as I understand it, essentially doing it because, yeah, we can take them, so that land will be ours. Fuck <laughs> it, you know, and like right. that's, you know, that it's kind of like a thing. It's like a land grab, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just because because Afghanistan, if you look at it, you know, just geographically they are landlocked at that point especially if you look at the way the soviet union was in 1979 you know there's essentially nowhere for them to go they've just got to put their they've either got to advance and and i mean advance not necessarily in an ethical way i mean they either have to just accept the future of being taken over which yeah. is sort of the character of the translator on yes. the russian side yeah. is just because he even says like i love afghanistan but we have to understand that this is not a battle we can win so rather than trying to resist maybe we just try to grow with whatever this future is and uh you know, and but the that's really the only other option besides no, let's let's stand our ground because we live our culture a certain way and it just has to be this way. And I there's arguments to be made for both. It's just that, you know, one of them you're kind of being forced into. Yeah. And so it, it's like it, it's just it's it, but back then the idea was that the Russians were the bullies and these right. were you know, these were folks that were just trying to maintain the culture as they had it. And so, yeah, I I think the movie does want us to enter it, especially because it came out in 1988, which would be a year after this conflict ended. Um, It would want us to at least ethically take the side on a macro scale of the Afghanis. And and I think that that comes through strongly. And, And to credit the movie, does so in a way that that shows that maybe on a macro scale this invasion is bad but also shows that a lot of these guys in the tank are just guys that really want this to end so they can get home yeah yeah Yeah. that's such a complicated thing and i think it's something that even to this day we find difficult you know despite the fact that our country is a bunch of fucking war hawks uh, Uh it's you know it's it's we're just bombing people regularly still and uh it's you know, it's just it, it's difficult to try and step back from good versus bad and go, this whole thing is bad and there's good and bad and complicated everywhere that we need to parse out. And yeah. this is like the only war movie that I've really seen kind of make that the hook. Yeah, I feel like I don't know. I feel like I've seen this idea in other movies before, but I can't really name them when I'm trying to think of them. And I, I mean, think I it's think it's because... in a lot of them, but it's never the central. Yeah. Like, that's the goal of this movie, I think. Right, and right. Like, the goal of Saving Private Ryan is not necessarily that. There are a lot of people that it's just, these are Nazis, therefore they can die. Right. And it works yeah. in the context of that movie. Um, it's very hard to, to, it's very hard to do that in a way that doesn't look like you're being apologetic towards a fucking shitty Nazi. Right. And yeah. I think this, this does it quite well. Yeah. And I also, I mean, 
by the way, the I mean, there's so much we could talk about here, but I, I also think like part of me ending up liking this movie so much is that it's just like a really good fucking movie in a way that I don't often find war movies are. And that's yeah. not to say they're that's not to say war movies are are bad or boring or whatever, but like the score feels like some weird kind of middle point between like Tangerine, like Tangerine Dream, Dream and yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, like, and almost sounds like the Mandy score sometimes. Like it just yeah. like, it's a really cool fucking score. That's where I made the connection to Sorcerer most. I mean, besides the fact that it's a bunch of dudes trapped in a vehicle, yes, but yeah. uh, it sounded a lot like the Tangerine Dream Sorcerer score. Yeah. Scorcerer. Then, yeah. Scorcerer. Sorry. And then like long the, week. The, I, I <laughs> my brain's also, Scorcerer is worth is worth it. Um, I, but like, I also thought the filmmaking was fucking great. Yeah, like, this is a that, great action movie. In that way that like when we go to Exhumed and see like a really good like spaghetti western where mm. it's like just, you know, you can tell you're watching yet another cheap Italian movie. Yet this one is just like elevated tremendously by like really good filmmaking. Yeah, this this feels like that to me. You know, it's the it's the midday exhumed movie where you're like, man, this trash is fun, but this was actually a pretty fucking good movie. Right? <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's like I don't yeah. even think this, I don't even think this one's trash. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There was this there was a couple like really kinetic shots where like yeah. the camera comes up amongst the treads of the of the tank and kind of zips around. The action is phenomenal. It cut yeah. from like tight action to wide action with real tactical explosions. I mean, yes. this was, I looked it up, this was shot mostly in Israel. Okay. Um, so there was just a lot of beautiful expanses of space, mountainous backgrounds, desert foregrounds, and they use it. It, oh, yeah. There's no hiding the location. Like if there's a cliff, it's because they've driven up to a cliff. If there's yeah. a valley, it's because they're in a valley. And the camera really, really uses that. But it, it's so like it very smartly gives us the architecture of the inside of the tank. Yeah. The architecture of the path that the tank yeah, on yeah. the run and the uh, soldiers following them have it like it was. Yeah, it's really remarkable the way that it's shot. And I think that there was a lot of really strong face work. Because yeah. even though a lot of the battles have to happen far away, we never actually see it from like a Lord of the Rings force versus force kind of way. Right. We'll see an explosion from far away, and then we go up close and we see the personalities reacting to this. Yes. Um, the, the, the shot that's in my head is towards the end when uh, Jason Patrick's character, they're all Kowalski in my head, yeah. him yeah. and Han are running across the top of the ridge. And the dudes in the tank, Steve, Stephen Baldwin in the tank, yeah, can't the get the turret up high enough to hit. Yeah, and so it's shooting below their feet, and it's all these wide shots of these incredible explosions and stuntmen running next to real explosions. But it never, it never wastes time getting back to the local. You know, these guys exerting on a local level of running. Right. These guys exerting on trying to aim and figure out where their gas. It, it, it's so well directed, and the edit. Oh my god, the editing was fucking. I, I'm gonna come. It totally was awesome. Agree. Totally agree. <laughs> you agree. I, You're also gonna come. Yes, this is the movie that taught me that Stephen Baldwin and Don Harvey are two different actors. <laughs> I I think had I never seen this movie, I would have just assumed 
that they were actually like I never would have known which one I was watching in movies. Yes. But finally seeing them on screen together, I was like, oh, so these are two different guys, huh? Wait, what is Harvey from? Because the name sounds familiar, and I can't I can't place him. Like he looked familiar, and I, and now I struggle to. He is in tons of stuff, but I would guess that the thing that you probably know him from is he's in Die Hard Two. Um, he's in The Untouchables. What else do I see here? Hudson Hawk, The Thin Red Line. Uh, he's in lots of stuff, but I think in like, you know, he's never the main character of a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's always this kind of like secondary face. Creepshow 2, Taken 3. What segment was he in Creepshow 2? Good question. Uh... See, what's, I'm looking at his IMDb and him as an old man is a face I recognize. Yeah. He's on the Lethal Weapon TV show. There you go. I've never seen that. I I feel like my big note for I think the big one for me is uh is Dire Dire Two for me. Yeah, I can picture him now. Um, but uh, yeah, I just it was funny like seeing them pop up on. I'm not kidding. For like the first half hour, I did not realize they were two different characters (laughs) because I so much think they're the same guy. They uh, they do look similar and they kind of serve a similar function in this movie. They're the lackeys, right? You know, it's not till they get to the water helicopter that they really start to have personalities of their own because they're just taking orders at that point. Well, and I think that's an interesting thing that this movie is doing, right? And you've, you've talked about this a lot for sure. But like once we get to that finale, suddenly these two guys that mostly feel like they are the faceless soldiers that are just taking orders. We now dig even a little deeper into how deep this sort of following orders thing goes. Like we find out that there are yet more layers here. Like, if I remember right, one of them turns out to be more willing to continue following orders than the other. Yeah, as we get deeper yeah. into the movie. And well, I, Stephen I like Baldwin the... starts to doubt it when they leave Jason Patrick behind. Right. And he's and Jason Patrick says to him, like, go back there and shoot him and come back and leave me right. because guess what? You're next. Yeah. And yeah. that was him suggesting, like, you're the one who has a little bit more of his own free thought yep. than than Harvey does. Yep. And so that's going to get you killed order. just like it's about to do me. Yep. And I think that's the moment where that starts to really highlight itself and that gap starts to occur because it's, you know, he somewhere deep down, he realizes like, yeah, this guy that we've tied to a rock and put a grenade under his head <laughs> yeah. is probably speaking the truth here. I, I am next. How crazy was that? When that they, was by, crazy. By the way, when they the first time they said booby trap that I was like. I mean, I hear the word booby trap all the time. I've never known what it actually means because it's like a video game concept to me. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, ah, oh, they booby trapped it. It's got a wire and a spring and, a, you know. And so when they were just like booby trap that, I was like, what are they going to do? Like, what are they going to wire up here? And then when it was just like, they're just going to fucking put a grenade under his weight. I was like, oh, God, that's what that means. This is horrifying. Oh, yeah. A booby trap is basically just a trap that you've rigged. Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily a no, trap I know. that's. Uh, yeah. I, I remember whenever I hear booby trap, I think of one thing and one thing only uh, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit, because there's a scene where there's a like bear trap that's hidden between Jessica Rabbit's boobs. Oh, yeah. And I believe it's Bob Hoskins refers to it as a booby trap. And uh-huh. I remember being a kid laughing at that and like thinking like I was so grown up forgetting that joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just a silly pun. But um, yeah, I remember thinking that as a kid. That's funny. Yeah. I just might also reason- be one of my first childhood dalliances with being horny. 
I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I love that, like, in my head, that's a contraption. And in the movie, they were like, no, we're just putting a fucking grenade under your yeah. head. You're the contraption, sir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I, I also, I mean, the performances in this, I thought across the board were really great. Um, and uh, Jason Eric, Patrick is an underrated actor. He's like, have you seen Narc? I've not seen Narc. Dude, you really should see Narc. Him and Ray Liotta as two partner cops. Yeah. It's a really like fucking dark, fucked up movie. Um, it's Joe Carnahan. It was like kind of what put him on the map. Right. And uh, like he's kind of gotten more colorful, but this is like gritty Joe Carnahan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really like of the training day era, like just like gritty cop movie. It's really good, but Jason Patrick is excellent in it. This is going to blow like, your mind. Really excellent. This might be the first Jason. I'm looking at his credits now. This might be the first Jason Patrick movie I've ever seen. You ain't never seen Speed 2 Cruise Control? Ain't never seen that cruise get controlled. You can you can actually continue your life. <laughs> Just as I've been living path. it. Yeah. yeah, don't even worry about it. No, that's it. I mean, it is a lot of fun, but that yeah. movie is dumbish. Like, it's, it's dumb as shit. But, but like, Willem not... Dafoe is the bad guy, so that's kind of fun. I've not seen The Lost Boys or Sleepers or, you know, some of these other ones where it's like, oh, I probably should have seen some of these, you know? I actually have also not seen all of the Lost Boys, but I will say this: you should absolutely see Sleepers. Sleepers is is a really intense, good movie. Yeah. All right. Cool. Scary Kevin Bacon performance. Ooh, I Face like scary Kevin Bacon. Face the wall. Um. I also, dude, Eric Avery is his name. He was the uh the guy that was, and it looks like he's of Indian descent, but um he was the Afghan meant to be the Afghani that was on the Russian side. Oh yeah, he's in everything. Yeah, he's like in the mummy and like a, a bunch of stuff. He was fucking great. And I always think he's good. He was great in this movie. I, I actually was like, you know, um spoiler alert, I guess. I know we spoil stuff on this show all the yeah, time. Yeah, we're spoiling just in case, just in case. When he got taken out of the movie, I was kind of disappointed because I was really really liking his like not just his performance but like what his character actually brought to the movie oh I yeah thought was like really compelling now the movie ends up it's totally fine that it loses him halfway through but when that happened initially i was like oh what am i even hanging on to you know what i mean yeah. like he was really what was kind of grounding he was movie, he was the movie. one person i think who amidst the crew of russians didn't have like i didn't have to make any uh i didn't have to make any concessions towards the ethics of his character right 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 and even his explanation as just being when he said i love afghanistan Mm -hmm. but i uh you know but i i just i don't see a way out of this besides embracing it and moving to the future for the sake Uh, of that's something that i go that's that's pretty that's that's valid i think that's one way to look at it um whether or not that's you know, doable or not is, you know, I, I actually don't really rightly know the extent of how this conflict ended. Right. I know that around that time, the Soviet Union is, union disbanded anyway and turned right. from communism to uh, capitalism. And that had a host of its own problems. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think that in some type of way, it didn't, it didn't quite end. It just fizzled. Right. I think that's sort of how this conflict ended. And I, I want to make the comparison to Vietnam, but I want to wait until we get right into yeah. more details. Um, and so I, that's just one of those things where he represented what was probably a very real mindset. I, I like that the script very clearly 
ex- like explicitly had him saying, uh, you know, my my thoughts changed when I went to college. Right. You know, where he just kind of became more worldly. And as much as it pains him to say is like, we need to get out of, for lack of a better term, the Stone Age and embrace modernity. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like where, you know, where does modernity tie into this culture? And that's a tough thing to pull. I think it's something that's actually still being wrestled with today, uh, as as far as I can understand it from my position here in America. I think that's such an incredible moment of character density. And Mm. it's one of those things where this movie really does take pains not to judge its characters and just kind of let fate befall them as it may. Uh, It was so heartbreaking for him to get shot. And you know that it's coming, too. Yeah. And in a way, you could say it's cheap because he does sort of represent the vessel through which Jason Patrick's character uh, starts to redeem himself. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I do think that he is a full, complete character mm-hmm. who, who, to some degree, believes that he's facilitating some sort of softening of this, of what could be a really vile conflict. He, he sees himself as an agent towards softening that in some little way. It's fascinating. Oh my I, god, I loved it. Yeah, I did too. He and I agree with you that um as um I think through a 2021 lens there are maybe some rightful criticisms you could make of the way in which the script utilizes this character, but mm. the character to me feels like a very full complete person. Absolutely. And and that kind of in my mind like uh, maybe absolves some of the the criticisms you might make of the the character's use in the movie you know what i mean Um, and i think even the moment he dies works as like a microcosmic version of what he represents to the group because he wants to sit down and turn towards mecca and do his daily islamic prayer yeah and that's a very important thing Um, muslims that are that are that are practicing are very strict about that it's very important that's why you have prayer areas and airports and such because You know, it, it 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 waits for no man. It's the most right. important thing. God is great. Uh, Allahu Akbar is what they always say. God is right. great, and there's a sort of fatalism to it, which is no, we are we are pawns of God. This is this is you know, we just have to do where fate puts us. Right. And so the interaction with God is that prayer, and in the same way that. He goes, listen, I know that there's these old styles that we want to maintain, but it looks like the future is coming, whether we like it or not. I'm going to be the guy who translates. I'm going to be the guy who tries to facilitate some sort of lessening of the violence. And then in this moment where he dies, it's, I want to do my prayer. The captain says, no, we need you to go check to see if there's rock at the bottom of this riverbed or mud so we can cross it. And he ultimately is like, all right, I will put prayer on hold. I will put the old ways behind me (laughs) and I will do this and we will cross the river and then I will do my prayer. We'll just move forward. And so it's this weird like microcosm of what his larger function is. And so it makes it doubly heartbreaking when it turns out that that is that his faith in this future is undercut by the insanity of the oppressor. And and. I just I think that even though I felt the same way, where like when he left, I was like, man, he's the one person I liked. Yeah, yeah. But it was yeah. also like, wow, that is the most perfect representation of all the themes going on here regarding his character, and it just happens to be delivered in a in a fucking brutal gut punch yeah. of plot action. Oh yeah, um, dude. The other thing that I felt really complicated about in the movie, but I again like thought the movie was kind of great at at dealing with in some regard, was like towards the end when jason patrick 
I don't remember the phrase. What's the key phrase that he repeats that basically is like, take me in? Oh, um, actually, that is the name of the play that this is based on. Oh, that makes sense to me, actually. And so the name of the play is uh, Nana Watai. N- yes, Nana Watai. Is that right? Yeah. Um, when he utilizes that finally towards the end of the movie, uh, and it's really for the, you know, this is a, a reductive way of saying it, but it's for the sake of saving his own skin. You know, he's really mm-hmm. just trying to save his own ass by like using this. Um, I, I really wanted to initially like bump up against that. Cause that really feels like, yeah, this is what like the white man does. Right. Is he like, he just like finds the pieces of culture that are useful to him yeah. and, ad- yeah. and, ad- and adopts them and co-ops them in order to make them useful to himself, you know? Yeah. Um, but then the movie, uh, what I liked about the movie is the movie is as in tune with how complicated that is as I am. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, it's 100%. got the, there are the women of the uh, Afghani tribe, almost called them tribe. And I don't think they're tribes The the women of the Afghani town that sort of like become part of this, like revenge plot are very like, fuck him. I don't care that he's saying that. Yeah, he I literally that ran over my future yes, husband right. with the tank. Yes. It's just like, to it, do it. It's great that the movie lets the characters have as complicated feelings about this as I do as a viewer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I really think that that's where this movie kind of ultimately is so successful in, in really it, it is uh, again. It's like, it's not being didactic about any of this. It's not telling me how to feel about any of this. It is just presenting all of the strange facets of one of the, of a situation like this, you know? Absolutely. I think you got to respect it. And like, I don't want to be one of those guys like, nah, you don't see this anymore. But like, right. So often I think one of the trappings of doing, uh, making a political statement in a movie is that audiences really want it to be clean. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes that is the appropriate way to go about it, but sometimes it's not. And it's very difficult to offer for the answer to be, eh, it's complicated. Yeah, And because in order to land there, you do have to validate that with an in-depth exploration. Right. If that exploration is not there, it feels cheap. Right. And I think that that exploration is there. Um, you know, and like even like amidst the Mujahideen, there are people that are, and to use the wrong term, more tribalistic about it. Yeah. There's one guy who also wears an American style jacket and some sunglasses and he's like a war boy, you know, and like, yeah. But then there's also the women who we see are very second class uh, right. into the culture. You know, it's shut up and listen to me. You're you're the woman. Right. But are also the ones that are like, we we can't just sit here and say, ah, eh, you know, he right. asked for Nana Watai. They're like, no, let's throw some fucking rocks at his dumbass. Yeah. 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 And so like, I love that all of that is represented and none of it's judged. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. Um, and uh, boy, I don't know that I've got the character name in front of me. Are you able to tell me the name of Stephen Bauer's character? I am indeed. His character is Khan Taj. Yes, Khan. Um, uh, uh, Khan Taj is like, he's such an interesting character himself. And so when Jason Patrick tries to evoke Nanu, Nano, Nano Watai, you know, um, Taj also has complicated feelings about that, but his own judgment of that is more based on what strategy might be had yeah. by taking arms with this man. 
and then what understanding, you know, then they're forced to try and understand each other. And that gets into this whole other thing that's very interesting. These sort of two cultures being forced to work together and find out what commonalities they have. I was just fascinated that the movie really, you know, it, it made Taj feel like a very complicated, full yeah. character, you know? Well, I, I like the character of Taj's uncle. They just referred to yes. him as uncle. Yes. Um, because he is very much, because I believe, what were the three tenets that they had? I forget what the first one was, but the second one was revenge, you know, which right. is a sort of justice that you enact yourself. Yes. And then the third was Nanawatai, which we learn is even if somebody's coming to kill you, if they ask for that, you give it to them. Yes. Um, he's wounded at one point, and they're like, oh, he's wounded, leave him behind. And he says, my wound will heal when we get that tank. Right. So he's very much about getting that revenge but he's also the one that says to Kantaj if we don't offer this guy food and sanctuary then we are not living to the principles of what we believe yeah and that's just such an amazing thing where even he the one who says that my wound will heal when we kill these fuckers you know then says no 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 but we are principled and this is our principle and like what an amazing thing to go through and like especially because uh, Khan doesn't want to be the leader. You know, I know his name's Taj. He doesn't want to be the Khan. That's right. But I, I because think... everybody dies, he's now the Khan. And right. so when he starts flexing his muscle, the uncle's like, yo, that's not befitting of a Khan. This is your test. And I... then later he says, am I a good Khan? And he says, that's what makes you a good Khan yes. is asking that question. Yes. And like, so even Khan has to go through a struggle against the principles that his faith behooves him to hold right. um but he can't naturally hold that outside forces and like i, I can't think of anything more human than that concept it, it's right. so well done like that it does really feel like a very human movie to me and i mean i think the title the beast or the beast of war i mean literally the tagline is is like super uh um uh, you can probably pull it up here oh i have it right here it's very exploitation movie it's it's war brings out the beast in every man you know, yeah, um, that's awesome. But I mean, that the one is... on the poster here is in Afghanistan. One Russian soldier must make a choice: be true to his country, or true to his heart. <laughs> yes, that feels like. Although, by the way, that feels like the more American jingoistic. Like, yeah. here's how I will sell an American audience on this movie, like tagline. You know what I mean? I do think that if you were to enter this movie as an American. It is almost knee jerk to just be like, oh, the white ones are the ones that are the yep. good guys in this. I, and then the movie almost kind of beats that out of you to say like, no, 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 you actually came to that the wrong way, which I think might actually be part of its function. I do think that coming to this movie in 2021 probably is pretty different than coming to it in 1988 when it was. Made. Oh, yeah. And I would guess that some of the creative choices come from a 1988 mentality, not just from the creators, but from trying to respond to the culture of 1988 and how they might feel about these characters because of what's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and so it is interesting where it's like, I don't know that I can necessarily get inside of some of that stuff because I'm coming to it as a 2021 audience member. Um, but I am. Fast- I think it speaks I- to the strength of the movie though, that there's still, there's like new themes to be mined from it as it ages. Totally. I mean, it, it weirdly kind of continues to become more and more relevant in, a, in yeah. a lot of, you know, sad ways, actually. But I do to something you were saying a minute ago, I mean, I think that the title is fascinating because it is such a human movie that is kind of about, like, war is a unique situation that makes monsters of us all, you know? Yeah. War um, is the beast. Yeah. 
And then when you get in it, you just end up becoming a piece of the beast. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I really like this movie. And in fact, as we talk about it, I, I think I like it more than I thought. I, I, I was almost a little hesitant to totally like fall for this movie honestly more due to my own ignorance surrounding these events than anything else because mm-hmm. it's the kind of movie that i i think as an ignorant viewer could be slipping all kinds of propaganda past me you know what i yeah, mean yeah yeah and and i weirdly kind of worried about that in my response to it but I, but i am very comfortable being like well but i'm an ignorant viewer coming into this like i you know what yeah, i mean yeah. like i'm i'm okay with that um i, I think I what's just, weird though is coming at it with like slightly more context just because i did some research on it yeah i think one of the strengths of this movie is i i think it almost works overtime to try and avoid propagandizing right i I think as we're talking about it i'm fascinating i'm kind of realizing that's at least how i feel about it that it it doesn't feel like it's um uh, dipping into any of that for me but i mean so like an interesting choice here that i know was one of the things nick wanted us to to get into and talk about and so maybe this is a good transition into some of the larger context is the choice for all of the Russians to be played by American actors just doing American accents. Yeah. There, there's nobody is trying to sound Russian. Nobody is. Everybody's got Russian names. They're distinctly Russian characters. Um, they're not meant to be Americans, um, but they are played by Americans and they just are played with their, you know, their regular American accents, mm-hmm. um, which, which is an interesting creative choice that personally I didn't find difficult and i don't really feel one way i i don't feel like one way or the other about that personally um i could understand feeling one way or the other about that um but i did think i read a little bit of the interview with the director i did think his reasoning for it was at least interesting and worth talking about well when i first when i because i i watched it before reading any of the interviews and when yeah. i first watched it my my knee-jerk reaction was just like yeah i mean that's how you get an american white audience in right. because like Half subtitles works. All subtitles, a lot of people just kind of reject right, that. Right, um, Shamefully so. Right. And, you know, and once again, as we're talking, the assumption of an American viewer going into this is that the white soldiers will be our audience surrogate. Right. And so, but then watching it, it becomes clear that, no, this is actually a political statement being made after the fact by the director and not by the writer. Right. Uh, now, I actually have the portion of the interview about that up, if you'll allow me to to read it. Yeah, please, yeah. Um, so they they ask, it, the interview is from the Austin Chronicle. Um, they're, they're asking about, uh, about, you know, why they made that choice, why Kevin Reynolds made that choice to depict yeah. it this way. And he says, not foreseeing where we were going to be 20, 20 years on at the time I saw the Soviets, uh, sorry, let me let me start that again. That's Not right. foreseeing where we were going to be 20 years on. At the time, I saw the Soviet situation in Afghanistan as something akin to their Vietnam, which is why I chose to portray the Ru- Russians the way I did, which was as Americans speaking American accents. I know that threw a lot of people at first, but I think that after the first five or ten minutes, you kind of forget it. What that does, though is allow the audience to find those characters very accessible, which is like sort of what I was saying. Yeah, And that's just what I wanted to do. Make people realize that they're just like us and that their situation was analogous to what we Americans had experienced in Vietnam. And so... um, I thought this quote was really interesting, by the way, because I do... I have my own very complicated feelings about Vietnam and the way 
you know, uh, I think Americans were quote unquote meant to feel about Vietnam. Yeah. Versus oh, what, so much propaganda around that war. Yeah. Versus what I think the real experience of it was. Mm. And so that like that quote is really interesting because I'm actually not totally clear. Uh, I, I think I'm happy to give him like the benefit of the doubt in that quote. I'm not entirely clear on what he necessarily means by that. There's actually clarification here. Oh, please. So Austin Chronicle follows back up. I'm going to pretend that the that the interviewer's name is actually Austin Chronicle. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Having said that, and knowing as much as you do about the Soviets' disastrous Afghan campaign, you must have some concerns about our current imbroglio there. And so Kevin Reynolds responds and says, that's a complex issue and greater minds than I are trying to deal with it. But I do feel that to some extent it was a huge mistake. You can't go over there and just defeat these people militarily. You're talking about trying to change an entire culture's mindset. I spent a couple of weeks in Pakistan before shooting the beast, and it was like going back 200 years. They're very dogmatic in their beliefs, and they don't really want to know Western culture. They're a bit narrow-minded, and they're very different from us. If they're not battling the Russians or the British or us, they're fighting each other, and that's just their culture. I think we've got a no-win situation on our hands. You'd have to pour so much time and money into the entire culture to try and change that mentality. And at the end of the day, you have to ask, is it, and here's where the clarification, I think, comes in. Is it right for us to go in and impose our system on them? It's a quagmire, and I think it's sucking the blood out of us. Now, yeah. he was talking about the current situation in Afghanistan right. there, but I think that that ties to the Vietnam oh, yeah. thing is yeah. that we went into Vietnam under the auspices of, oh, we're stopping communism. Right. And then it slowly turned into a much nastier thing than that, which was, yeah. oh, we're making money. Oh, we're, we're, and, and it essentially came down to like, you can't bomb someone into changing their mind. Right. War exists when you realize something is so bad, you must eliminate it. Right. But changing someone's mind with bombs is a much more difficult thing. Yeah. And so I think that's where I would see the, the connection there is like, we went into Vietnam and we had all of the technology. We had every militaristic advantage but the one thing that we didn't have was we didn't understand the people that we were invading yeah. and so it just became firebombing and throwing chemicals at them and hoping that they'd either change their minds or die off and it turns out that no their culture and their people were tenacious as fuck and in ways that we couldn't possibly foresee and it's almost like a miscommunication but one that involves bullets and i can definitely see a parallel with russia just being like yeah whatever they're cavemen we'll take them over and them just being like we will die stopping you from doing this and we don't care. Yeah. It's I, fascinating. I fully, I actually, I fully understand his parallel and, and I, I like that parallel. I actually think that parallel is helpful to sort of like getting inside of this movie a little bit, you know, mm. I, I have, I have a little more complicated feelings and I think this is literally just like old white dude talking about this stuff is really like what I'm responding to more than anything yeah, else. Yeah. But like, so I have, a, I just have complicated feelings about some of what he says there where he, he kind of, you know, he's like, oh, all they do is like kill each other and our 200 years. Be, you know, he like he's a little dismissive of yeah. these foreign cultures, I would say. Uh, and and I, I have personally complicated feelings about that. And it makes me wonder like a little bit like what it is he actually thinks about some of the story he's telling. But again, what I like about this movie is that it almost it's not that it doesn't matter what he thinks about all of this, but the real I think the real thematic thing that he's driving at and using the story for 
it doesn't matter what he thinks about those things. Does that make, yeah. does that make sense? Like, and even I think if, that because I think that is a tasteless statement to say that they're all fighting one another, and it's yeah. probably just a turn of phrase that's sloppy. Right. Because I think, as evidenced in the movie he doesn't show whatever their culture is as being backwards. Right, I agree. It just yeah. shows it as being different. Yeah. And therefore, when when the Russians show up and say, we got technology, guns, and bombs, it's like, that's just not a language that they're speaking. Yeah. You know, I, like, I, it's just a different language, and, and we're not going to, there's no communication here. I it ends up being a war like, of attrition, you know what I mean? The evidence in the movie itself you know, like outside of that, that quote is, is that like, the, uh, to me, this movie is as sympathetic, if not more so to the Afghani characters, yeah, yeah, exactly, the Russian exactly. characters, you know? Um, so I, I'm with you. Like I, I, I do, I, I think that's maybe me coming to that with a little bit of, come on, old man, what do you, what are you saying? Think about your yeah. words. Than it is it, well, else. exactly. I think it is a sloppy turn of phrase and yeah. it's one that evokes an idea of they're behind us, which right. is not necessarily the case, right. but I think the movie comes very strong too. It's not that they're behind. It's that it's different. And, it's and, that and, the growth of their technology served different needs due to environment, due to culture, due right. to everything. Right. And that's not to say that it's, that it's behind it's just that it's it's on a completely different path otherwise right. and we're trying and to communicate on a to, path that neither speak and, and as you said to like to bomb them into changing that is just like nonsense that's not yeah. even, that's a concept that doesn't really make any kind of sense and that's an extremely american concept yes. now yeah. and so i think that it's very but what i like is that i don't think a lot of people will, would go to that movie uh with how should I put it? I don't think a lot of Amer Americans would come to that movie and necessarily immediately walk away with like, that's a Vietnam allegory. Right. Um, but I think that it's the kind of cool message where a week later they'd be like, you know, that's right. a lot like what we do. <laughs> and as evidenced in this movie, it's this horrendous miscommunication yeah. that, that really only breeds escalation of violence, you know? Yeah. And so like, I, I think that, that in terms of like what it's trying to get functionally in the brain of the viewer is, is wildly respectable. And, and I think quite progressive for its time, even if it's 1980s trappings don't necessarily put that on the surface. Yeah. I mean, I think there are probably Americans that would watch this movie today and not totally like grasp exactly what it is there. You know what I mean? Would latch yeah. right onto the white characters and, be gung ho for the white character. So, like in 1988, I can only imagine it's it's that much more so that you know using these white characters with American accents does help draw a a sort of larger audience in America into this in a way mm -hmm. that they wouldn't otherwise. You know. Well, that's a lot of the the stuff that was sent to us by Nick seems to indicate that what happened with the release of this movie was that Rambo three was essentially the angle that that the studio would rather take, which is these people are, are backwards. These people are essentially cavemen. Yeah. And we got to throw in a muscly white savior with big guns to mm -hmm. help them in a situation that they're hopelessly outmatched. Right. And this movie suggests they weren't hopelessly outmatched. They were <laughs> just as good as anyone else. They were different. And these were people, these were not, these were individuals. They weren't yeah. just a large, you know, brown group of people you know like it and so this was a movie that very clearly the studio was like people are not 
money wise, people are not right. going to flock to this and see it and respond to it because that's just simply not how our culture sees it. Yeah. And so in that respect, this was very progressive and ends up being much to its own detriment financially and release wise, as is the impetus to this episode of our show even existing is that yeah. somebody really wants it to be seen. So, yeah, it was very much just like we'll put it out there for for contractual obligation. But like, come on, Americans don't want to see this empathetic portrayal of the other. Well, and what's they funny, want to see Stallone do push-ups until they win, you know, and it's and what's funny is if you strip this movie of some of the context and look at it as just the exploitation movie that you and I have been kind of referencing exists here, you get the thrilling moments of oh, vengeance killer action movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in the end, you get thrilling moments of vengeance that the white muscly character does contribute to. Yeah. And and you what you really feel like is none of this would have been possible without these two men learning to communicate with each other and that that's its own kind of interesting lesson for the movie to be like, you know, uh, trying to impart to us. But you still do get the thrill of the Rambo 3 exploitation movie. Oh, do you yeah. know what I mean? This is definitely um, better than Rambo 3. Right. That's it, the thing, it, what's though, weird then, is it looks like a white savior movie, but if you right. actually like are paying attention agreed. to what's going on with the characters, he's the one that ends up getting saved by their culture. That's totally agreed. Yes. Yep. You know, it's, it ends up being, you know, the, the white savior is the one that gets saved. Like he was essentially, it seems that this movie suggests that he was doomed to die in that tank. Right. But for the fact that the kindness and faith of strangers were willing to forgive him, yep. you know, and like that ends up being his, his savior. It's, it's fascinating like that. Yeah. Well, and then uh, not to parallel these characters too much, but uh, also um, uh, Contage, you know, uh, that great line that you referenced where he says, like, basically, am I worthy of being con? And the guy says, like, well, that his uncle says, like, that's what makes you worthy of being con is that you worry about that. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a little bit what Jason Patrick's character kind of learns about himself. Right. Is like, yeah. Or or why Jason Patrick's character is able to come around in the way that he does. And the other soldiers are not is that he is willing to ask if he's worthy of the of his actions. You know, like Mm -hmm. he's willing to consider his actions beyond just taking orders and things like that. Well, Baldwin and Harvey. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like Baldwin and Harvey, they just go, you know what? If I just don't ask questions and do orders, eventually we'll we'll get through and it'll be done. Right. And he's the one that starts to question the ethics of what's happening. Right. Um, You know, at the expense of his own you know, morals when he has to trample a guy with a tank absolutely, um, and at the expense of a life, of course, but it's, uh, it, yeah, it's because he's the one that goes, you know what, maybe my allegiance to country is not the most important thing. My allegiance to my soul is actually the, and actually, you know, let me pull this up Uh, on the poster as well, where I read that quote, there is another uh, quote that is even in war, the human spirit triumphs, <laughs> which, you know, is kind of a hammy rah, rah, yep. rah way of, of describing this. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, you should read the article. I only, I'm only going to go into a little bit of detail of what yeah. William Master Simone did in order to write this. Yes, I would it's like to fascinating. Read this article. There's one thing. Basically, he started to become obsessed with this conflict and said, I want to write about it, but I got to get to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I need to be there to do it. And the way that he gets there is he goes to a restaurant in New York that still exists. We have actually a restaurant of the same name here in Philly, Kyber Pass. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's owned by Middle Easterners. And he kept saying, like, he was talking to them, saying, hey, you know, I want to go to Afghanistan. How do I go about doing it? 
And they're like, yeah, whatever. You're like CIA or something. We're not mm-hmm. going to help you. Fuck you. you know, and he just kept going and pushing. And what eventually convinced them to help him get to Afghanistan, where he tells a crazy story about doing an interview with a warlord. Whoa. Oh, it, it's definitely read the article. Yeah. I was like, I'll read half of it before I go to bed. And I end up reading the whole thing because it's riveting <laughs> as hell. Yeah. Crazy story. The dude's nuts. But he went there and and. I mean, the way he got there was nobody wanted to help him get there. Yeah. But when he showed them that a play he was current that he had written was currently getting like full page ads in the New York Times, the Afghanis who worked at this restaurant were like, if he goes there and writes about this, maybe what he writes will be able to get America because like Americans weren't paying attention. We didn't give right. a shit. Yep. Maybe what he writes is the type of thing that will spark an American response. Right. That will cause some empathy for these people that Americans typically see as brown others. Right. You know, and so right. that it's, is it's, what got him over there was the notion that maybe, just maybe, if this play is made, people will see it. Lo and behold, the play is made, the movie's made, and still the powers that be stamp that down because we're not ready for it yet. Right. Yeah, that's it. But I mean, this is a great argument. We've we talked we've talked about this a lot over the years in a lot of different contexts, but it's a great argument for representation. Like that's basically yeah. what they're saying is like, oh, ju- the that it's not until the full page ad where they're like it's not just that he would write a play about them, right? That's yeah. fine. That doesn't matter to them. What matters to them is that Oh wait, but this play could actually be seen by people. Yeah, and will be represented properly within it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, that is very interesting to me. That's fascinating. And in the story, he like goes over there and ends up suffering a horrible sickness, almost Jeez. dies. But what saves him is local people find him, mm-hmm. and as behooved by their culture, is no, no, no. You're our guest. Oh, We're wow. going to make you better. We're going yeah. to help you do this. And he meets like. Because, like, when he lays down to die, even his handlers are like, I, they say something to the effect of, when you're born, Allah says your fa- writes your fate on your forehead, only you can't see it. And so the idea is if you find yourself in a situation, that might be it. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but you have to right. just go with God. And so when he lays down to die, even his handlers are like, listen, like, we hope you make it, but we got to keep moving forward. Peace. You know, like, right. that's just the way this is. And so he he runs up against this Islamic fatalism and at the same time runs into this same sort of cultural thing that says, no, no, no. But like you've, you've, you've managed to be dying in the middle of our village here. We would like to feed you. We would like to give you clothes. What, what is ours is yours. And it ends up being this super thorough human depiction of a culture that we just saw as backwards cavemen at the time right. that he experienced as, no, this is complex. This is human. And at its heart, this is kind and good. Right. And it's something we still wrestle with when dealing with Islam. But like, yeah, yeah. I think that that experience very, very clearly ends up uh, a very much a strong undercurrent in this script. And it's plain as day in the movie that like one of these goals is like, just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's different. And you will yeah. see that at the course of all of humanity is this notion of no, 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 it is our duty to help. Yeah. And it gets perverted through things like war and greed and money. Uh, and But deep down, there is this human soul of like, no, 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 we're brothers. Let's do that. And like, it came from his experience of almost dying over there. It's It's an amazing read. You got to read it. I I really want to read this. When when uh, Nick sent us that 
just his like loose description of the article, I was like, well, that's going to be something I put a lot of time into this week. You oh, know? Yeah. And it's actually a quick read. I mean, it's like a 10 minute read, nice. if that. But it's just a really fascinating thing that having just watched the movie, uh, you know, finishing it, you know, half hour before, I was like, my God, like that is where this characterization came from, was not from assumption, was not from, you know, any sort of, of uh, propagandistic goal. It came from the experience of sharing time with another human being. Mm. And that's something that is that seems to be lost so much. And it's something that that I think just is it's in our genome and, and really becomes human in this movie that could have just been empty white versus brown explosion. Tanko boom. Right, you know? yeah. and, and so it's like it, it. It really is a strong case for, like you said, representation proper representation, informed representation, and also getting out there and being a face in front of another face. Right. Yeah. And that is, it's, it's so human. It's just beautiful. It's fantastic. And man, I I couldn't love it more. I, I, this is one of those movies that like, as we're talking about it, I'm like, yeah, Yeah. I I like this even more than I thought I did. You know what I mean? It's so good. Yeah. Um, Can I read one more thing from Nick's email here before? I was literally just about coming up. Yeah, and I was just about to ask, like, what else? Like, what else do I need to know? Like, where are we? What pieces are we still missing? I asked him if he wanted to write an intro for the show. Yeah. And he said no, because it'll probably take up the entire runtime of the show. Yeah, yeah. But he said. Um, yeah, he says, as you can imagine, based on my previous correspondence, anything I would write would be so long as to take an entire lifetime to finish. So instead, I thought I might copy and paste below a message that was sent to me by the Academy Award winning screenwriter Roger Avery. And I want to throw this out there. Roger Avery, is uh, he has a, a script credit on Pulp Fiction. I believe that's where the Oscar came from. Yeah. But he also adapted uh, The Rules of Attraction, which is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite books from one of my favorite writers, and it's one of my favorite movies. He also did a very excellent crime movie called Killing Zoe that is very meritous of an episode of our show. Have you ever seen Killing Zoe? I've not seen it, but I'm very familiar with that movie. I know what you're talking about. Eric Stoltz is in it. It's a great Stoltz. Really good little just crime thriller. Um, He's an even bigger fan of this film than I am. So back in November, I decided to leave him a message on Instagram asking him for his thoughts on the film. Never expecting, of course, that he would actually reply. To my surprise, less than a couple of weeks later, he did. So below, I've left you what he sent me. The last part of what is not a particularly long message captures how I feel about the film. So we're going to get a little bit of Nick's thoughts here. He says, I don't think he would care to be honest. I I don't think he would care, to be honest, if I share it with you. Enjoy. So here is Roger Avery's thoughts on the film. Hi, Nick. Indeed. The Beast of War is freaking fantastic. I saw the film with Quentin Tarantino in Westwood, California on the opening weekend, and no one was there. We had the theater to ourselves. The owner said it was in the theater for one day just for awards qualifications. Talk about suppressing a film for reasons of political agenda. (laughs) Same thing happened with Idiocracy. Too intelligent for its own good. I find the film transcendental as well as a fantastic action film. I think that says it all. Yep. I, I think that he's spot on. I mean, as we discussed, there was political motivations to kind of suppressing this film. Yeah. Um, it makes sense to me, too, because I, I mean, I think this is if you're right about timelines and stuff. I mean, this is coming out right at the like on the tail end of this conflict, basically. And it was written as a play by a guy who forcibly inserted himself into the conflict and witnessed it firsthand. Right. 
And so, like, it is nothing if not fresh. Yeah. And then going through the other lens of a filmmaker seeing it and going, we can actually take the visceral idea of war that we can't do on stage and put that in a movie, which I think brings even more truth to it because it is a pretty harrowing war experience in that sense as a movie. And so it's just like, it's amazing that all of these amazing little pieces fell into place to make such a wonderful movie. And the one piece that couldn't fall into place is the distribution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, but I I think that we are at a time where we do ask the right questions about, you know, jingoistic narratives and stuff that uh, this is certainly a movie that I would recommend to our listeners, and it's it's on Prime, so yeah. oh, totally I mean, check it out. And I, I think it's worth watching, talking about, and there's probably a million things that we didn't cover that you can take from it that are probably insanely valid and that you and I might be clueless on. Totally, and and honestly, it is like just such a fucking like actually good watch, like such a good movie that people oh, should, should as hell. watch it. Um, Like, I mean, just as another sell on this, like if there's anybody less interested in war movies on this planet than I am, it's Tori. And she watched this with me and was also like, that was pretty fucking good. Like nice. just was also kind of gripped up by the characters and the, the story that's unfolding among them. So I, I just think it's like as a movie, it's so successful. So then to like have all of this kind of extra textual stuff from the actual history of the narrative, you know, mm-hmm. is like, that much more interesting and impressive, I think. Yeah, in a vacuum, it just functions as a slam bang action movie with great yeah. characters, and then you add this other context that, as we said, you know, sort of grows. Yeah. Um, like you said at the beginning, like this isn't a movie about the war. This right. is a movie about the people, and the war is the backdrop. Right. And I think that that's something that that is often too difficult to do with a war movie, or is not the goal of a movie to do. Right. I mean, I, of course, I always go to like Saving Private Ryan. That's a close example in that. Uh, it is a story about a singular mission within mm. the larger backdrop of a war. But, mm-hmm. you know, here in America, when we think of war, that's just the war we think of right. because it's really the one war in our history that we can mostly feel altruistic about. Right, right. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's the one that has the least amount of wishy-washiness as to our ethical, just whatever ethical codification we have going into it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so so it's always going to be there. You know, it's the whole. You know, even if something's not political, it automatically is. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and and so it's just a rare thing to do, and it's a rare thing to pull off because even in Saving Private Ryan, which is absolutely phenomenal, it does require the depersonif- depersonification of the villains right. in order to function, which is key. And so that just doesn't exist here. Right. Even the villain, the most villainous guy, which is the you know the captain of the tank squad, yes. he tells this story about his youth in World War II, right. and it's like, well, no fucking shit, this guy's fucked up, yeah. because he's clearly got some sort of PTSD going on. Yeah. When he was eight years old, he was tasked with having a rope tied around his waist so that they could drop him down on top of Nazi tanks, and he could drop a grenade in and then be lifted up. And in an American lens, fuck those Nazis. You know, yep. he did. The, but also it's like we did just create this villain in the process. Yeah. You know, and so it ends up being this guy who is this irredeemable villain, but is very well motivated by historical circumstance. And like that, that feels almost impossible uh, in a war movie. And it's done here seemingly effortlessly. And in the exploitation movie of it all. He gets the nickname Tank Boy from that, so that in the finale, Jason Patrick can scream, Tank Boy! Tank Boy! 
Oh, <laughs> dude, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Oh, and you know, it was a great line. There was a really great line that like kind of like made me sizzle. Yeah. And it's when um, the Afghans are trying to decide whether to execute the tank after they overtake it, whether to execute the guys. Yeah. And he, they basically all agree to let them live. And his reasoning for letting them live, he says, I want you to witness it when they win. Right. And that's really the only reference to the larger war explicitly that I can think of. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of hope. And it's one of the idea of like, of, and it kind of completes his secondary arc of, I now realize that we were wrong. Yeah, not yeah. only did we deserve, not only do we deserve to lose, but based on what I've witnessed siding with the Afghans is that it's very likely we might. And as, right. as understand by just like, the quote I was reading here, the failed Russian thing is that it seems to some degree they did. Yeah. Right. You know, they yeah. did, they did win. And I just loved that line that was like, no, I don't want you to die. I want you to watch them win. And it's almost him forgiving and saying like, because that's sort of what I've witnessed and it right. saved me. You can be saved too. Oh, and like, that is such a weird level of empathy that is not often seen. And, and that's very interesting. Uh, I think it's kind of beautiful in the midst of a pretty harrowing and scary and, and what could be a big, like blow these bastards away. Like I thought they were going to blow them away and that I was going to cheer. <laughs> and that ends up, the movie ends up pointing to me like, Nope, that's a fault within you, Mr. Scully. And I go, fuck <laughs> it is. Uh, and I, I, and then, then I complete my arc and take the lesson of no, they're, they're going to, you know what I just said. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, really man. fantastic stuff. I know. I, I can't thank uh, Nick, wh whose name is only Nick, uh, enough for uh, bringing this movie to us. Because I, I just like, I, I like I said, I honestly thought it was going to be a bit of a chore because it's just yeah. not my kind of thing. And I was really bowled over by it. And this is a movie that I honestly would never have heard of otherwise. Oh, yeah, totally. So listeners, definitely watch it. It's accessible. You can find it. If you got to pay for it, whatever you got to pay is worth it. I promise you that. And so shout out to Nick and a huge thank you to Nick. And then by proxy, shout out to our listeners. You guys are awesome. Yeah. And please, if you have something like this, the proof is in the pudding here. We're totally open to listen to it. And uh, Nick declined to to be interactive on the show, but uh, that invite also stands as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, we want to be interactive with you. So please, uh, please recommend something. And if you want to talk about it, we're happy to air your words or your voice if you so choose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, this was great. And, like, this is kind of the mindset I've been in generally anyway uh, lately, which is just, like, I want to just see, like, more new-to-me movies. Not yeah. necessarily new movies, new-to-me movies. And uh, it's been really fun to discover some titles that I just had not even were just not on my radar in doing that. Yeah. And I think like, you know, other people is the best way for that to happen. Right. It's like I could Google all day about like you know, what movies I should be watching or the the least known war movies of whatever, you know, uh, having somebody else just be like, yo, have you ever seen this? You know, because they've got like, oh, I saw a screening of this in a weird, you know everybody's got their one movie that they're the only person that saw, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Uh, and I, I love that. I love those kinds of recommendations. Uh, that, so I'm very grateful to Nick for, for bringing this. And there's nothing more satisfying than being the only person who saw a movie, telling someone about it. And then them coming back being like, I watched it. You're like, I'm, I'm free. Yes. I'm free. Yes. We can speak. Yes. So, yeah. So I understand why Nick was so aggressive about uh, uh, getting this out to like other podcasts and stuff. And actually, yeah. you know what? While we're being a, a 
cool here. In his email, he did say that that he a couple other podcasts did talk about it. Oh yeah. Um, one of them is called um, War Horse versus War Machine. And the Retro Movie Geeks podcast. I have not listened to either of these, but shout out to them. They've talked about this movie as well. So if you want more context, definitely uh, uh, give those a listen as well. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, this kind of like nicely tips us into we wanted to do a quick like kind of list thing like we like to do on the show of uh, movies that have been recommended to us by other people. Yeah, movies we wouldn't have heard of otherwise. Yeah. Can I say one more thing about The Beast that I forgot to mention? Please. One of the coolest and most heartbreaking things about this movie is they poison the water supply. Yes. And we see that being used against the, I almost said the Americans, ha. <laughs> um, that being used against the Russians. And then we yeah. later see it being learned. And the, no, we see, it, we see it being used against the Afghans. Yes. And then it is learned by the Afghans and used against the Russians. Yeah. And if ever a small macro version of the fact that violence is cyclical, uh, it, it like that's just right there. It's in the movie. They just show how violence is cyclical. You know, we taught them how to do it, and then they do it back. It's you, brutal. That's interesting. I actually interpreted that differently than you did. I, oh, oh, I let's hear it. So my understanding of what happened was that it was the same pool of water. Was that it was uh, not a different pool of water that was put. That it was on the same. Because you know the whole thing is that they're in this yeah, valley that has they did one turn single back. trail. You know, and so I I took that as. They, we poisoned the water in we the Russians poisoned yeah. the water in order to poison the Afghani soldiers and then poison themselves and ended up poisoning themselves because, of course, you know, later their reinforcements came in, went to the same pool of water for water and, and died. That's I think I you're right. Out. No, but, I but, think I actually think you're right. I, cause okay. You're right, because that is the route that they take is they turn back. Right. Um, so but I think that that actually speaks to that theme even stronger than i was gonna say i'm totally with you though yeah Yeah. that's i I also was like you are correct i think you're right yeah i was struck by that i mean that like that moment in a weird way hit me a lot harder than a lot of other moments in the movie of the just like this really horrifyingly violent thing that we are doing and it's the kind of violent thing that doesn't end in bloodshed so feels "Quote unquote humane in some way." Do you know what yeah. I'm saying when I'm saying this? Well, because like, it's indirect. You leave the weapon behind, and then yeah. you almost feel detached from it. Yeah, yeah. This like this horrible, disgusting thing like ends up being something they do to themselves because they're just like, you know, it's the war path. They're not yeah. actually thinking about the real consequences of what they're doing. They're just like following orders, moving forward, making decisions in the moment that have nothing to do with the actual war, whatever the greater point is of the war. That's not why they're making the decisions they're making. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. I, I was and if you really do the math, it's just like you killed one of your enemies and two of your own. Yes. What'd you do? What did you even do? You yeah. Know, like, what has what so, been accomplished here? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with I, you. That I, was I like, think you're right. I think that's a, that's the, that's proper what happened but yeah it makes that theme even stronger where it's just like but by the way i mean that is actually interesting that that those events like played out differently for you i'm just fascinated by that actually i I think it was just yeah i i it didn't even occur to me because i knew it was the same can yeah and so but i just yeah i saw it as like they just went oh yeah we know how to do this now too i I mean that's a very interesting but i think it does make sense your way because like i can't imagine as the afghanis were characterized that they would ever want to poison oh sure maybe yeah you know and so yeah i think you're right but yeah that's yeah that's wild but anyway yeah let's get into this list 
Yeah, um, so I, I only I, have a few because I had a wild week, and it's funny because all three of the movies that I picked were recommended to me by my friend Kevin. Oh, that's um, great. Simply because when Kevin recommends, like every once in a while, he'll stop and be like, "Dude, that's the movie." Yeah, and yeah. then I go, "Okay," and he's always right. Yeah, and so uh, all of these were recommended by him, and they were things that uh, I never would have heard of otherwise. Well, I've got a handful here pretty much in the same category of like, I don't think I ever would have heard of these movies otherwise. I'll mm. start with I'll start with one that I, I watched recently and was just something I heard on a podcast. I, I've been listening to um, Screen Drafts a lot. And okay. the guys on Screen Drafts love a movie called Miami Blues. Have you ever seen or heard not of seen, Miami I've Blues? heard of it, but I've not seen it. I had never heard of it before. I didn't know anything about it. It's a young Alec Baldwin and a very young Jennifer Jason Leigh. In this like high energy Florida crime thriller where it's literally about like a kind of like fucking monster of a man just like wanders into Florida. We don't even know from where. And then like because Florida is like this horrible, weird crime place anyway, like he basically literally becomes a cop by like killing a cop and taking his badge and being like, I'm this cop now. I'm so sold. This looks awesome. It's really great. It's, oh, it's, same director as uh, Gross Point Blank. Yes, yeah. It's really great. It's really fun. The energy of it is wild. Alec Baldwin is doing this like this like live wire kind of character that I feel like I've <laughs> never really seen him play before. Because like, in my mind, I think of him as his 30 Rock character. Yeah, as, yeah, yeah. As a very steady rock. You know what I mean? And like in this movie... There's like a scene early in the movie where he's like, he's talking to Jennifer Jason Lee. They're like in her apartment and he's like talking to her and he's like, he's trying to play it off. Like he's really cool. You know, like he's like, he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm, I'm on the level. I'm a good guy. I'm really cool. And then there's a knock at her door and he spins around really fast and goes, Hey, what the hell was that? <laughs> and it's, like, it's just like a knock on the door. It's like, it's, he's so just like on the edge of, he makes you feel on the edge of your seat because he's so on the edge of everything, you know? Have you it's seen really, his one really scene fun. in uh, Glengarry Glen Ross? Oh, yes, I have, yeah. That, that has sort of that, that yes. like... It's that kind of Alec Baldwin. energy. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, I'm definitely going to watch this. I've it's, heard of it, but I, I that's something that... It's a movie that I just always dismissed. I see here it also stars Fred Ward of Tremors. Sure does. Fuck yeah. Yeah, dude. I, it like it was. A, I had never heard of it before, and it, I could not have been more delighted by it when I watched it. And it's floating around there somewhere. It's it's on some streaming service. I, it's I can't on remember. Prime, according to this. So yeah, nice. Hit me with one of yours. All right. Well, I mean, we we talked about it a couple times on here, but a few years back, I was over at Kevin's apartment, and he had the poster for Sorcerer on his wall. Oh, nice. And the poster was just the truck on the bridge, the guy yep. in front of it trying to guide it, rain pouring down, the most iconic thing. And I was like, dude, what is that? And he gave me the whole story of, uh -huh. he was like, this is the movie that Freakin' did after The Exorcist. It's not Supernatural, which sunk the word of mouth campaign because everyone expected it based on the title yep. and his pedigree. It opened against Star Wars and just disappeared. He was like, this is the movie. <laughs> and honestly, like, it is, it's probably, I always say it's in my top five. It might even be in my top three. Right. I, yeah. I just fucking love Sorcerer. I, I just bought the blue and watched it in like super high def. And Ooh, it is yeah. just mwah, maron. And yeah. I never would have heard of it if I had not just seen that poster. I love so that. So shout out to the, the ad power of posters. That's but a great it is poster, like a movie too. that like 
kind of defines my tastes now. And it's <laughs> something that I, I would have missed entirely had I not been uh, going into his house to retrieve the copy of the book Simple Plan that I lent to him. Oh, that's great. I yeah. love that. That's great. Best uh, book I ever read. I actually, I have a couple, we'll get into a couple more titles that are kind of like that for me. But um, another one I wanted to bring up, and I don't know if I've brought this up on the show before. I watched it, uh, I think, pretty recently. I know it's floating around a streaming service somewhere. Uh, it's a movie called Tears of the Black Tiger. Have I talked about this on the show before? Uh-uh. I don't even know if I've heard of it. Uh, give me one second. I want to make sure I Are get... Are you thinking of Tears of the Sun <laughs> no. Bruce Willis in war as a way too old to be in war man no uh i wish that i was uh no tears of the black rain i just i'm looking it up because i want to make sure i get the actual like country of origin correct it's a thai movie um and uh i only heard about it because joe badden um who is a director that you and i know through um philadelphia unnamed film festival yeah Um, what was his movie called that we saw there oh god's ear inside uh god in my ear god i actually have a I have a, a painting of his on my on my wall. God inside my ear. God inside my called, ear, right? Yeah, I have a Suspiria print that he did uh, on my wall that Jenna got in uh, New Orleans, Orleans, right? Yeah, just randomly, strong. not yeah. realizing that it was a guy that that we had seen his work. Yeah, uh, he has a new movie currently making the rounds now called Sister Tempest that I'm uh, looking forward to seeing. Yeah, um, but he, he's like I, he's just like a fucking weirdo, you know? He's like a weirdo to the extreme. That's always sharing stuff on Facebook for movies that I've never heard of. And he shared a screenshot from this movie, Tears of the Black Tiger, that was beautiful. Like these gorgeous pastel colors. And I immediately looked it up and found it. it at the time, it was streaming somewhere. It looks like it's not currently available anywhere that I can find. But it was on a service. I watched it. And dude, this movie rocks. It's like kind of like a I, I would almost describe it as like a Thai Tarantino movie you know I'm into it Thai uh, Tarantino yeah right yeah. Uh, yeah. and actually the letterbox description is that it's like a a parody of Thai romantic melodramas uh, which totally makes sense it's very much as my cup of tea where it feels like a soap opera kind of but like is also a spaghetti western with like lots of gruesome death and violence uh, it's gorgeous it's got a great, uh, like pastel color palette. It is really weird, and I loved it. I don't really know how to describe it now that I'm trying to, actually. But I, I just, I think it's I mean, into like looking I, at the screenshots. It almost seems like it was like colored in after the fact. I think it's more accurate to say that it's one of those movies where like the backdrops are literally like cardboard that is hand painted. Yeah, you like, know what like I mean? this this looks yes. like a, a cardboard hand painted background. It, it it's like all very physical in the frame, I believe. That, is um, that like the way this yep. guy is colored there? Is that what it looks like in yep. in motion? That's so yep. cool. It it's dude, it's awesome. This movie really fucking kicks ass. It's it it feels like a Fast and Furious movie in the way that it's like a very melodramatic action movie that takes its melodrama seriously, as does its like big action set pieces. It's a ton of fun. I can't recommend it enough. If people can get their hands on it, Tears of the Black Tiger kicks ass. And I never would have heard about it had it not been for this like weirdo indie director that I follow on Facebook. You know, I'm going to add it to my list because uh, you just became that guy who recommended it to me. Dude, oh, when you I can rent it for three bucks on Amazon. Do it. Uh, like, just do it. Yeah, it, I'm totally, totally worth it. I, I thought this movie was great. Nice. Really, really fun, strange, weird, 
practical stuff. I, I, I can't recommend it enough to people. I'm into that. Yeah. What else All you got, right. man? So, uh, uh, Steve McQueen. Uh, not the not the old cool guy, Steve McQueen. <laughs> who I don't actually find to be that cool. I think he's kind of dweeby. Um, he's in good movies, though. Um, I do like Bullet quite a bit. Yeah, I do like Bullet, too. Um, I just it's so, I think it's so weird. People like he's the image of cool. I'm like, he's a nerd. <laughs> I kind of agree um, with you. It, you know, he's like really small and wearing a turtleneck through most of Bullet. Yeah, like that's a kick ass movie. But like, I don't know. He doesn't seem cool to me. He just seems like yeah. a dweeb. Yeah. No love lost. Um, he's he stole Ali McGraw from uh, what's his name? Ro- Robert Evans uh, causing one of those intense uh, uh, old school Hollywood cocaine hatreds. And uh, <laughs> I just love that story. I mean, um, I I decree your assessment of him fair. Yeah, a fair. Okay, cool. Then we're <laughs> um, yeah, he plays the nerd in Magnificent Seven. Um, he uh, <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, Steve McQueen, the new one, is the director. He did Widows yeah. and uh, Shame and Twelve Years a Slave. Just absolutely phenomenal director. But one yeah. of his early movies is a movie called Hunger. Uh, and it is a Michael Fassbender story. It's a true story. Michael Fassbender's in it about a bunch of, I believe, IRA prisoners that led a very long hunger strike. Mm -hmm. The idea being that they wouldn't hunger strike at once, but every two weeks, a new one would start the hunger strike. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that way, there's always a consistent stream of people dying. That way, when one person dies, the hunger strike doesn't just end. Because, like... One way you can end a hunger strike if everybody hunger strikes at once is just wait them out. They're all going to die, and then you win. Right. And so this was their way of having a sustained campaign. It is a grimy, dark, truly hardcore movie with some really upsetting stuff in it. But it was sold to me by my buddy Kevin. He was like, oh, you got to watch Hunger. And I was like, oh, what is that? He described it to me. And he goes, remember what Christian Bale did for The Machinist? Yeah. Fastbender puts him to shame. <laughs> I was like, really? And he does. It is a truly upsetting movie, but it's incredible. It taught me about a little piece of history that I did not really know about. Yeah. I did have to put subtitles on sometimes because the Irish brogue was so thick that I couldn't tell what the fuck anyone was saying. That's fair. But I, I mean, mean I, it's brutal. I can barely get through in Bruges without having like subtitles yeah. on. So I get it. It's very, and, and so like it's, but it's very dark. It's very like there's like before they hunger strike, uh, one of their first strikes is they all just start rubbing their shit all over the wall. Whoa. And there's this one scene that's just like it's one long, like five minute long take of just a sad janitor just mopping up shit. And it's silent and all. But it's crazy. Like there's a montage of of Fassbender laying in bed, uh, just getting thinner and thinner as they keep setting food next to his bed. And he's just doing his best to ignore it. Truly hardcore stuff. It's a fantastic film. And I never would have even thought to watch it. But Kev was like, dude, this is like true stuff and i remember it because i i rented that and grizzly man from blockbuster (laughs) that same weekend and i watched them you know back to back and emerged that weekend like oh friday i was a boy but today (laughs) (laughs) it's like real intense stuff but hunger is a fantastic movie it speaks to the future career that that mcqueen had and i never would have even heard of it uh if, if it wasn't recommended to me nice uh, so the other one I'm going to name drop here, uh, is, I guess I'll do the hunger, which yeah. is maybe, yeah, hunger funny to the hunger. I know. I, I like, haven't seen the hunger yet. I, maybe I had heard of this movie before, but I don't actually think so. And this Tony is one Scott, where, right? 
Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. I was at Viva Video uh, renting some tapes, uh, as you do. And yeah. uh, and Tori and I were Tori and I were uh, you know looking around for different stuff. We grabbed like Miss Forty Five. There were like a couple oh, of things, so which is great. We grabbed a couple of things that we were really interested in because the great thing about Viva is they have such a deep collection that it's like if there are things you've sort of like thought about over the years but couldn't find, you might be able to find them there. You know, yeah. Like there yeah. were a couple of things that we grabbed, like Cemetery Man. We rented that oh, weekend. Miss Forty Five. You know, Yeah, some things that we had heard about but like couldn't get our hands on. And then Tori is really interested in these like vampire stories. And so she asked Dan like, and he was like, Oh, you should see the hunger. Like that, that's something you guys should check out. And so if I had heard of it before, I don't really remember. It seems like I should have. So maybe I did. And I just like, I know I've heard of it. I know it's like pretty beloved amongst our types of circles. So I'm sure you've probably heard of it, but I've, I've not seen it. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's like, it's great. It honestly, the coolest thing about that movie is that like it I believe this is the real history of it. Ridley Scott was going to make it, then didn't, and made Blade Runner. And his brother took it over and made it. But there was, like, a bunch of pre-production that had been done on it that then kind of got brought over. It was the same kind of thing that he was interested in doing. So the way that Blade Runner looks is how The Hunger looks. Because The Hunger was, like, kind of developed... And then he like moved on to Blade Runner. And so all this stuff that he wanted to do got ported to that. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah, it's yeah. this really interesting parallel movie that is not about the same things, but is kind of about the same things and looks a lot the same, but are by two different brothers. Do you know what I mean? I'm totally into that. Yeah, that it, sounds like, awesome. It's this really interesting dichotomous movie, I think, to uh, Blade Runner uh, and is similar in that it's like it's very moody. It's very atmospheric. It's more about the characters and how they feel than it is about the plot. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, but it's also very much a Tony Scott movie where Blade Runner is very much a Ridley Scott movie. But yet there's all this DNA that they share, you know, just like the brothers. It, <laughs> yes, it's, just it's, like in real life. <laughs> exactly. It's like it, it's fascinating. Um, and it's and it's actually legitimately a great movie in its own right. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I would like to see it. That's one that's been on my list forever. And correct me if I'm wrong. It stars David Bowie. Oh, you are correct, my friend. Yes. Yeah, he's I love great in David it. Bowie's in a movie. Yep. Like he, Zoolander. He's great. And actually, a um oh gosh, why can't I think of her name now? I, f- I feel so shamed for this. Uh Susan Sarandon, a young Susan Sarandon is. Oh, nice. She's great the best. It. Actually, I learned this yesterday. Um uh the first play that uh the guy who wrote Beast of War, his first staged play. Uh, the the lead female role in it was originated by Susan Sarandon. Oh, that's cool. She's so wonderful. Full circle. She's the um, best. M- my other couple of shout-outs here. I got one more to share. Oh, you do? You. Please, Yeah, go. I got one more, a third one. Um, once again from Kev, and this is just by way of text. We were talking about Olivier Assayas, the guy who did Personal Shopper, Carlos, uh, Ghost, uh, sorry, The Clouds of Sils Maria. Yeah. Um, nonfiction. A, a director that I've gotten into as of late just because I think Personal Shopper is just so beyond incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, we were talking about it, and he was like, oh, dude, you got to watch Irma Vep. Oh, right. And I keep hearing great things about this movie. On Criterion Channel, um, Criterion is actually dropping a, a two-disc Blu-ray of it, I think, April 27th. I've already got it pre-ordered. And um, I couldn't recommend it enough. Maggie Chung plays sort of herself. Uh, she's an actress shipped in to Europe from Hong Kong to be in this movie called Irma Vep. 
And uh, Irma Vep is a play. This has nothing to do with it. Um, it's just in title alone, but it's like sort of like in the movie, they're adapting maybe that play or something. It's kind of in the dark. Yeah. But it's just a behind the scenes sort of dramatic, half comedic kind of noises offy, just the the experiences and emotions of the people trying to make this movie. It's short, it's beautiful. I am head over heels in love with Maggie Chung. It's just a great movie. Um I, I don't even really know how to describe it. It's just purely enjoyable, but it's like art in a good way. It and it's good. one of my favorites. It's absolutely perfect. I, I watched it like just recently, like on that recommendation and I had never even heard of it before. And I, I, that's like a movie the world should see. And no lie. I think it's like, it's like 90 minutes on the dot. It's like a real sounds short great. movie. Sounds great. I might, if I you might have criterion channel. You can watch it tonight. It is. Yeah. Awesome. I, that sounds like something I'm going to put on like soon. Cause it sounds great. Um, it is. It also, yeah. It's, it's 1996 hour 39. So very short. It sounds a little like, um, uh, like lost in translation, uh, in some vague sense. Yeah, a little bit. I, I mean, it's. I know it's that I say so long very since much... I've seen it, so I yeah. can't really compare it. But yeah, it sort of is. Like the description here is just a Chinese movie actress in France to star in a remake of Less Vampires finds petty intrigues and clashing egos on the set. Okay, sounds so, great. That's it. It's very good. I'm very interested. In it. My my the only other things I wrote down, and and the, really the reasons I'm bringing them up are because they're more related to just like you and I's relationship, but like. Everybody Wants Some is a movie that I heard of. Oh, yeah. But I would not have watched were it not for your encouragement. Like, that's one of those movies that, like, yes, I knew uh, about that movie. Thanks, man. But were it not for you telling me, like, I really should watch it, I would have totally, like, avoided that movie. Yeah, and yeah. I loved that movie. Like, I that loved That was a movie that I, I just took the review, not, and I had no thoughts going into it. It really surprised me. It was really yeah. Um, the Silent Partner is a recent one ah. that I had never heard of until you started talking about it. Now, obviously, like the Internet has all of a sudden in the last like six months come around on this movie. But like uh, I had never heard of it before you brought it up. And I loved this movie when I watched it. I thought it was fantastic. That was one uh, that I had never heard of until it was an exhumed trailer. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I love me some uh, some uh, Elliot Gould and yep. saw that it was on Canopy and watched it and was blown away. So R.I.P. Good. Christopher Plummer. Uh, and then uh, this this one is not specific to you, but just our, our friend group. Speed Racer is a movie I would have ignored were it not for Jacob Harrington. You know uh, what? I will actually throw that one into your camp because I would have avoided Speed Racer entirely if not for you uh, going off about it. And, and that comes from Jacob. Our buddy Jacob has been on right the show. On. Like, I, I would not have given that movie the time of day were it not for somebody else telling me, like, you really should watch it. And even when I watched it the first time, I was like, this is cool, but it's gross and weird. <laughs> like, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's so crazy. And then just as my taste started to sort of expand and hone and all that kind of stuff, like I realized like this speaks to exactly what I like about movies more than almost any other movie, you know? Right on. I don't you love when that happens? Yeah. Well, I'll shout you out then. I, um, I, and it's actually a movie that kind of entered our lexicon again recently, Yeah. but I, I had never, uh, it was you who turned me on to Coherence back when it first came out. Yeah, awesome. And that's, that's like a, just a fucking fantastic movie. So good. And yeah. shout out to your Coherence oh, pieces up on Movie Job. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, big ideas, small budgets. It's like a column I'm going to continue on Movie John for a while. Yeah, actually, dude, you know what was cool? The director of that movie like liked my tweet about it. So I mean, Oh, right on. I don't know if he read it, but he he knows that I wrote about his movie. And then, I'm uh, sure uh, he read it. How could you resist? Patton Oswald was then just tweeting about it literally like three days after my article came out. Oh, like, yeah, I saw that. In the, I, I missed it in my sea of busyness at the group text, but I saw that he tweeted. I think we can assume he read it. I think so. He like he was tweeting about the movie just like to- I think totally in a vacuum for me writing about it. You know what I mean? Like I think he happened to watch it, was tweeting about it, and I responded to his thread and was like, "Hey, I just wrote about this. I love this movie." And he liked my tweet. So I'm just going to take that as like Patton Oswalt read my article about the about Coherence. I think we can assume that he read <laughs> yeah, it. What yeah. the fuck else is he doing? Which would be cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I that's cool to hear because I fucking love coherence and yeah, that it was is... one that I had never even heard of. And, and you know, it's funny. And then you you recommended it to me, I, I believe, on the show. Yeah. And then I hunted it down and really liked it. We ended up talking about it more. And then I remember, like a year or two later, I was talking to Matt Sang. Oh yeah. And he was like, "There was this movie that came out. He was, it's not compliance. You've probably never heard of it." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, it's coherence." And he was yeah. like. No, it's not Coherence. I was like, yeah, the one with the, the double people. And he goes, yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that, that I just learned about that movie. It's fucking killer. I, and, I, uh, yeah. I love being so much of a movie guy that certain people can be like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to describe this. It's got, and they name one actor, and I'm like, is it this? And they're like, yeah. it is that. How did you know that's what I was trying to get to? I think we were, like, talking vaguely about sci-fi. And he was like, yeah. it's this movie. It's not called Compliance. And yeah. I was like, yeah, Coherence. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those. And so, yeah, that that's one of those movies. That. Which um, I don't know if you've ever seen Compliance. That's a rough one to get through, but I, it's I definitely worth watching. Yeah, I like that movie. That, yeah, definitely that's a, good a, movie. Uh, a creepy Pat Healy performance. Sure Ooh, is. baby. A good and one, though. And like down for the win. Oh, I know. Ooh, yeah, she's tremendous. Um, the only one I'm going to mention is just because I rewatched it recently and, like, loved it more than I remember loving it. I had never heard of Repo Man. And <laughs> when I was like, insane. it's so great. When I was just out of college, a friend of mine was <laughs> like, you got to see Repo Man. And I remember watching it and being like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, like not really knowing what to do with Repo Man, but being like, all right, Repo Man, this was cool, you know? And then, Alex like, Cox is a legitimate, insane person. When I just rewatched it for Killer Bees, Tori and I's podcast that we're doing, uh, we're doing Harry Dean Stanton coming up. Uh, nice. That, that's an episode you get coming up. Uh, I re- we rewatched it for that. I fucking loved Repo Man. Like, Repo Man went from like, yeah, all right, Repo Man's crazy, to like, guys, Repo Man is crazy? And one of the smartest movies I've ever seen, you know, like I was just like, I was totally on its wavelength this time. And it really spoke to me in a way that I did not expect it to. I think Rebo Man's like a great movie. And it's one that I would not have heard of had my buddy like, you know, 10 years ago been like, you need to see this movie. I got to watch it again because it's that's one that I last watched when I was 15 and was just like, and so I imagine it's probably smart. I would I would recommend against watching Repo Chick. Okay, I didn't realize uh, there was a Repo Man sequel. Written and directed by Alex Cox. Uh-huh. Um, it's a it's a movie that is entirely and poorly blue screened. Boy, I've not seen it. I've yeah. just seen clips of it in, you know, in the, presented as like everyone loves Repo Man. Not everyone loves Repo Chick, <laughs> but it's it's a thing. I'm trying to find the name of a movie that he did that was at the um. Is it was it, at the oh, there it is Tombstone Rashomon. 
Ah, Tombstone yeah. Rashomon is a movie that was at the Cinadelphia Film Festival, and I had to review it. And it was one of the hardest movies I had to review because, like, at the Cinadelphia Film Festival, there was sort of a there was sort of a like when when we got all the films in advance to review, there was just sort of a directive that was like, if you don't like the movie, still write about it. Uh-huh. Know, these people submitted it to our festival. They're coming to be. Alex yeah. Cox is going to be here. So just don't write about it. And I did not like this movie, but I really wanted to write about it because it was fascinating. Yeah. So I had to sort of like dance around that a little bit. But like Tombstone Rashomon, it's supposed to be the story of Tombstone, but told Rashomon style. Yeah, yeah. But it also like, you know, like the 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 cowboys drive SUVs sometimes and you can see like skyscrapers and TV uh-huh. antennas in the background and stuff. And it's like, I think it wants to say that those are choices. Yeah. But I think think that those were mistakes or things that were oversights or were just like yeah whatever put him in a fucking car you know like that kind of a thing and then and and so it just doesn't quite come together but it was the closest i've seen to the manic just like holy shit something weird's going on here of repo man which is actually legit good i think that, that i had seen in a while if I can recommend a rewatch of Repo Man, do it because it's very entertaining. For one, and it's thing. got Emilio. Yes, uh, but it's also like I do actually think that that movie captures a sort of like, and I'm not the first person to say this, but but having watched it this time, like there's an actual punk rock energy and spirit to that movie that I don't think a lot of other sort of almost you know quote unquote more punk movies have. And when I say more punk, I just mean like. Movies that you would go like that is a punk when you look at yeah, the yeah. characters in it, you know. Yeah. Um. I, this movie actually feels like it's getting at something about the punk rock ethos that I thought was really interesting and weird and compelling. And it's actually because I'm familiar with I've not seen any other Alex Cox movies, but I, I'm familiar with him. The notion of Alex Cox and yeah, what an Alex yeah. Cox movie is. Oh, he's a and, wild dude. And for like an hour. It's actually a pretty compelling, pretty solid movie, which isn't to say it, it it really works for a while. And then in the last half hour becomes what I understand to be more of an Alex Cox movie where like things really break down and stop making a sort of like moment to moment sense, quote unquote, you know, but it also all really works within the framework of what i think might be going on in that movie like also, when how punk start... rock is that yeah like when it starts breaking down i do actually think there's maybe something going on there that that doesn't make sense but did make sense to me in the moment of watching it does that that makes sense yeah <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. No, i know what you mean because I've, I've had that happen where it's like i can't describe this to you but if you watch it you will you will pick up on the vibe yeah i gotta watch it again because that was one that i watched when i was like 15 and getting into movies and it was like this is one you want to see yeah i watched it was just like yeah it was fucking wild (laughs) yes exactly exactly it's actually it is fucking wild which is what's so entertaining about it but i do actually think like it's pretty interesting there's like some cool shit going on in that movie that uh is worth this actually that that's maybe a future episode that's that's a movie worth discussing i'm down i'm totally into watching that um, I might even watch that and then just watch Repo Chick for the fuck of it. Yeah, just to do it. Yeah, me too. Dude, look up some clips of Repo I Chick, will. and you're gonna be like, okay. you're gonna be that guy, the the gif of the guy who goes, <laughs> yeah. That's that's who you're gonna be. Yeah.
well, this was a pleasure, and I want to thank Nick again. Uh, yeah, shout out to Nick. Thank you so much. That was yeah. it. Was really awesome, and I think we had a really good episode based on it, just because it's. Oh, this was great. This is one of those movies. I mean, it is a movie. Movie. Yep. It's, oh, using, it's firing on yeah, all yeah, cylinders. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'd be curious, and we don't need to do the research in this moment, but I would be curious, like, how much a movie like this costs to make. I can get that information real quick before we wrap up. You know what I mean? Like, 1988, it's definitely a Hollywood movie, but it's not a movie that you would ever expect Hollywood to make. So it feels like they probably would not have thrown that much movie uh, money at it, you know? It's going to be real depressing. Now, I got to say, it looks more expensive than this budget. But yeah. compared to the box office, so the budget is eight mil. Okay, Which that makes sense to me. I pretty agree with sizable you. for its time. This movie looks way more than an eight million dollar movie, but I also that makes sense to me that eight million is how this movie got made. Would you like to guess how much it made? Oh, I, that's probably going to crush me. Is it under a million dollars? Substantially. Oh my god! Really? Is it yeah. like? Is it like? Is it like a hundred thousand dollars? A little above that. It's $161,004. So they literally, so that story about like, that's Roger Avery's story about like, I saw this with Quentin Tarantino. We were the only ones in the theater. It was the only night it played. Like that's definitely real. That makes sense. Yeah, that's that's true. And and you know, this is an accurate number because it's not like, oh, it made about 160,000. It made 161 and four <laughs> like you don't get the end four when you get above a million it's just right. ah, i made a million five millions <laughs> but yep. one hundred and sixty one thousand and four dollars jesus christ four oh, of those dollars are roger avery's <laughs> <laughs> by the way the poster for this that is on letterboxd is a fucking great movie poster it looks like a fucking like superhero movie or something it's awesome it's the like one a- on imdb is no, this is, looks like this looks like a Star Wars movie when you look at the poster on Letterboxd. It's like a hand painted, looks like Luke Skywalker. In oh front yeah, of a fucking Star Wars tank. Oh yeah, and honestly, that actually really captures. There was a couple shots that yeah. like lacked depth of field, but focused on the tip of the tank yep. of the cannon. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Loved this movie. Thank you, Nick, for recommending this. Yeah, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, if you've got other hidden gems that you're looking to fucking get a podcast to talk about, if you found the right guys, send us another email. I'm into it. I'm and, totally into it. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's Ooh, wrap this up. Uh, you can find me everywhere uh, on the internet at Philadelphia. That's with an F. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd there. I'm on moviejohn.com. Uh, as we referenced before, I've got a new column there called Big, Ide- uh, Big Ideas, Small Budgets. Uh, where I wrote about coherence recently. I think by the time this episode's come, this episode comes out, I will have a, a piece on Adam Wingard, uh, kind of profiling him and what his movies are in advance of Godzilla versus Kong. There might even be a review from me of Godzilla versus Kong by the time this episode comes out. Nice. Um, maybe we'll see. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. Oh, and I have another podcast called Killer Bees. Uh, look us up everywhere at Killer BS Podcast. Killer Bees. Right on. Podcast. At Dan Scully on all the things. Uh, check me out. Same thing. Moviejohn.com. Findy.com. My Nobody review should be going up. Findy sometime soon. Hell yeah. Man, I fucking love Nobody so I'm so much. excited to see this movie. It's so good. It's just very much my shit. Extremely yeah. my shit. Um, check out my other show, Hot Property. And... Uh, I believe that is it. That covers us. 
My name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. We all know that. <laughs> we all know that you like to movie movie because we, we like, like to, to movie. movie. I'm gonna dab as I do that. Dab, dab, dab. <laughs>